0: Thank you for tuning into our sermon series here at Christ the King Anglican Church. You can visit us on our website at ctkalexandria.org or contact us via email at admin at ctkalexandria.org. Enjoy! Will you pray with me? O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Have you ever climbed a mountain, or at least driven to the top of one? Growing up in California, my family liked to spend a week or so tent camping in the high Sierra Nevadas. And we had a favorite day hike to Mount Givens. It wasn't especially far, and we only gained about 2,000 feet in elevation. But at the top, we were around 11,000 feet. And the view was almost 360 degrees, absolutely breathtaking. We could see all the way from southern Yosemite to Mount Whitney in Sequoia National Park. There's something about mountains. The grandeur moves us. The perspective from the top of a mountain speaks to our souls. So we are going to start with mountains, not only because it's the setting for our gospel reading. I know that's a bit on the nose, but stay with me. I want to use it to orient us in the church year. Today is the last Sunday in Epiphany, which is that season sandwiched between Christmas and Lent. And I want us to picture our journey through Epiphany like climbing a mountain, We started at the base at Christmas. Jesus is revealed to us as God with us, the Word made flesh, human, helpless, newborn. But over the past six Sundays, we have seen through Scripture Jesus revealed to us as the true light, the Son of God, our model, teacher, judge, Lord of the harvest. We have been climbing the mountain of Epiphany together growing in our understanding of who Jesus is. Until we reach today, the final Sunday in Epiphany, Transfiguration, we have arrived at the peak, the pinnacle. This is the capstone revelation of Jesus. So as we stand on this high mountain with Jesus and his closest disciples, what do we discover about Jesus, about the Father, and about ourselves now those questions should sound very familiar because they're the same questions we've been asking for all of epiphany and the answers will give us a very simple outline to follow number one we discover that jesus prays number two we discover that god answers and number three what do we discover about ourselves and our true calling we listen so let's start with jesus praying Matthew 17.1, if you want to follow the text, it's printed in your bulletin, or you can open the scripture. Matthew 17.1 tells, tells us that Jesus took his closest disciples up a high mountain. He doesn't tell us why, but if we look at Luke 9, where Luke retells a story, Luke says they went to pray. This is consistent with Jesus' habit. He often sought quiet and isolated places. He knew quality time was necessary to nurture his relationship with the Father, to know and to do his will. Jesus spent time in prayer. He was led by the Spirit. He listened, consistent, quiet, quality time. Keep those words in mind. So what was Jesus praying about up on this mountain? Again, Matthew doesn't tell us, but Luke gives us a clue, and the context gives us a clue. About six days before they went on this hike... Jesus had told the disciples that he would suffer, die, and be raised again. So Jesus, as he goes up this mountain, already has the cross in view. And we know from Luke that this is what he talked about when Moses and Elijah appeared and he's talking with them. He talks to them about his departure. Jesus went up the mountain to pray about the cross, about the path that the Father had put before him. He went to listen to his father. Chuck Swindoll tells a story of a Marine Corps boat that sat at the mouth of a harbor, waiting and waiting and waiting for a harbor pilot. And those on board the boat didn't understand the wait because the water was crystal blue, smooth as glass, and the dock was just a mile straight ahead. But they waited and the harbor pilot finally came and was at the wheel and the boat went along and they looked over the sides of the boat and saw all the mines under the surface of the water. They had to have the harbor pilot to be guided through that bay. Jesus said he would do nothing on his own. Nothing. But only what he saw the Father doing. He came to do the will of the Father. Now we might assume it was easier for Jesus. Because he is the Son of God. He is God himself. Surely he never struggled in prayer. Surely he never struggled to listen Except Philippians tells us he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He emptied himself. And Hebrews tells us he was tempted in every way that we are, but without sin. And so he can sympathize with us in our weakness. C.S. Lewis wrote that only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. And only Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. If Jesus, the very Son of God, needed consistent, quiet, quality time to listen to his Father, how much more do we? So if we move on in our passage we see that jesus goes up the mountain to pray and now we're going to see that god answers scripture tells us jesus goes off to pray regularly we just covered that we rarely know the content of his prayers and we don't necessarily know how the father answered except here in transfigurations we are privileged to god's answer and what an amazing answer it is looking at your text verse 2 says, Jesus was transfigured, or metamorphosed, changed before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And Peter stole my thunder with a selder, that great Welsh word that talks about the thin places, the veil, between heaven and earth, separating. The disciples had a glimpse right into heaven. Jesus' glory was revealed, the glory that he shared with the Father before the foundation of the world... The glory that he would be returning to. We confess it every week that he will come again in glory. And this gave Jesus perspective on what he had to face. The author of Hebrews writes that Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. What was that joy? He was returning to the glory of the Father, but he was not returning alone. Because he died and rose again, and our sins can be forgiven. We get to go with him into that glory. But there's more. Verse 3, behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Now, there are many layers of symbolism here, and the disciples would have recognized it. We do not have time to explore it. Our first lesson hinted at at some of them, but at the very broadest level, Moses represents the law, Elijah represents the prophets, and Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of both. So in having an opportunity to talk to Moses and Elijah, God confirms Jesus' calling as being in line with the entire story of Scripture. But there's more. Look at verse 5. God himself speaks from a bright cloud and says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This should sound familiar because these were the words that God spoke at Jesus' baptism at the beginning of his ministry. And now as Jesus looks toward the cross... The father reaffirms their relationship and his love and his pleasure. There was a man, 57 years old, who was deaf and received a cochlear implant. It took six weeks for the swelling to go down before they could activate the device. They show up for the day of, and the audiologist invited the man's wife to say something. So she leaned over to her husband and very quietly said, I love you. The first words he heard in 60 years were words of love. The father answered Jesus. He didn't tell his son the cross would be unnecessary. He didn't tell tell him that the road would be easy. What did the father tell Jesus? He told Jesus he was loved. He reminded him of his calling and the hope of glory. He strengthened him for the journey ahead. And this is a word that we need too. We also are loved by God, called to be his children. And we will someday share in Christ's glory. Transfiguration gives us this mountaintop perspective. We look out over the valleys that lie before us. And we are strengthened to travel through them knowing that glory waits on the other side. The parishioner recently shared a transcript of an address from Randy Alcorn. He wrote the book Heaven. Really good. I recommend it. Where he talks about this eternal perspective. He says, maybe you feel like your sufferings are the rock of Gibraltar that's really heavy incredibly heavy but then what if on the other side of the scales god placed the planet jupiter or the galaxy or the universe that is the weight of glory you'd say wow okay he goes on, one of the greatest gifts we can give our children and grandchildren is to teach them the doctrine of the resurrection and the new earth. To teach them they're made for a person and a place. The person is Jesus, and the place is the new earth, the eternal heaven. This kind of perspective, eternal perspective, is why Paul wrote in our second lesson, Philippians 3.8, I count everything loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So we started with Jesus praying on the mountain. We saw how God answers Jesus' prayer. The disciples witnessed that too and they were strengthened, we are strengthened. And now, what do we discover about ourselves and our true calling? We listen. So put yourselves in the sandals of the disciples. They've gone up the mountain to pray with Jesus. They've just seen these extraordinary revelations. And what does Peter say? It's good we're here. Can we build some tents for you? Now, the very best spin on this is that he was zealous to serve, and he wanted to prolong the experience, and it's not unreasonable. The Feast of Booths, where they built shelters, same word, anticipated a time when God would dwell with his people. But Luke, back to Luke, he tells us that Peter didn't know what he was saying. He was running his mouth, talking when he should have been listening. In fact, God has to interrupt him. Can you even imagine the creator of the universe having to get an edge in, a word in edgewise because you won't stop talking? I would be so embarrassed. In verse 5, Peter was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. After everything they have seen, the one command that God gives is this. Listen to him. To Jesus. If you remember nothing else from this morning, remember those three words listen to Jesus. Of course, that's easier said than done, isn't it? Maybe we're like Peter. We like the sound of our own voices, we think we know more than we do. We aren't comfortable with science, silence. Maybe we drank too much coffee. Or maybe we don't know how to listen or we're out of practice or we're struggling with sin that gets in the way. Not to mention we live in a really noisy world, both literally and figuratively. My husband's in the Air Force and during our career we spent three years in Japan. We lived on the northern tip of the main island of Honshu. Respect is a mainstay in Japanese culture and part of that respect is being quiet. There's a time to be noisy, but the trains are quiet. The shopping malls are quiet. Go for a hike on a trail with other people. It's quiet. Airports are quiet. So when we would travel home to the States and I'd get off the plane, I was always struck and really quite overwhelmed at first by the noise and the volume of American culture. We are loud people. We are deluged in a surfeit of words competing voices the news society even the enemy who still whispers what he's been whispering from the beginning did God actually say fill in the blank we're busy and tired our responsibilities pile up family work service ministry even the very best of intentions can get in the way of us listening to Jesus and I suspect If you'll be still for a moment and think, I suspect most of us know what gets in our way. If we don't, we can ask the Holy Spirit and he'll show us. But no matter what we face, Jesus has already faced it. He understands the weariness and the busyness, the competing voices. Didn't Satan tempt him in the wilderness? He understands when our wills pull us in the opposite direction from God's will. Didn't he pray, not my will be done, but yours? He knows, he sympathizes, and he is the only one who can do something about it. And that's why he gives us his Holy Spirit, the same spirit that led him. He enables us to share in this intimate relationship with him and his father. Will we follow his example and make the time? I will be the first to confess my guilt and not being consistent. Except it's not about guilt, is it? It's about relationship. It's about knowing and loving our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who is still speaking today through his spirit, through his word, through prayer, the sacraments, and worship, and fellowship. But how can we listen if we're not spending consistent, quality time with him? How can we expect to hear if we won't stop and be still, if we won't be quiet? Our women's ministry hosts a quiet day each month there's one coming up this tuesday i'm sure you've already heard about it from the pulpit we gather for prayer and then we disperse in this sanctuary and the agenda is very very simple be still and listen to the lord delight in his presence jesus has spoken words of rest and joy comfort guidance conviction discernment he's given strength for the journey as each one needs but the beauty is we don't have to wait for a quiet day once a month at church. Jesus speaks every day. And we're invited to listen every day. Consistent, quiet, quality time. Imagine life fueled by listening to Jesus. Imagine life if we were always seeking to speak and act according to his will, just as Jesus did. He lived his life listening to the Father and doing what the Father asked. Imagine the impact we could have on our work and our families on the kingdom. Some of you may be aware of the revival that has started at Asbury Seminary and is spreading. It's a beautiful thing. Thomas McCall is a professor there And he writes this about this revival. I reminded my students that we are creatures made for communion with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is the end for which we were created. We are never more fully alive and whole than when we worship. And what we are experiencing now, this inexpressibly deep sense of peace, wholeness, holiness, belonging, love, is only the smallest of windows into the life for which we are made. We were made to glorify and enjoy our creator, and our lives are lived most fully when we listen to Jesus. This is his gift and in his invitation. Will we listen to him? Let's conclude. We started on a mountaintop where Jesus prays, And we see God's amazing answer. And we're told, listen to him. But we don't stay on the top of that mountain, do we? This week is Ash Wednesday. As a church, we begin our journey to the cross. And that journey is called Lent. We walk with Jesus down the mountain and into the valley of the shadow of death. On that journey, listen to him. Spend consistent, quiet, quality time with him and remember what you saw today. Remember Jesus transfigured. Remember the joy set before him and set before us. There is resurrection on the other side of death. Heaven on earth is promised to us and the crosses that we bear now are placed in their eternal perspective. Never forget that glory awaits. Listen to Jesus. You can visit us in person at 9 and 1115 a.m. on Sunday mornings or online via our Facebook live stream, or visit us at our website, ctkalexandria.org.